This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I am PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined by fellow senior writer Dan Murphy and co-author of the best-selling book, uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle. You see how I look out for you there, Dan? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The best-selling. It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's doing pretty well on Amazon. I'm, I'm just waiting to hit the New York Times list so I can have bragging rights like Mick Foley. It, you know, I've seen in a, a lot of buzz online, see a lot of very famous ladies holding the book. And uh, I know you did recently yeah. a signing, right? Yeah, I did one at my uh, local Barnes & Noble here in western New York, outside of Buffalo. And I was joined by Allie from TNA and from Impact Wrestling, who I've known going back to the start of her career 12 years ago in Toronto. And uh, she was nice enough to come out, and I kind of set it all up. Barnes & Noble let me do a signing there. And I was going to let her, you know, sell 8x10s or T-shirts or whatever she had. Uh, instead, she showed up and didn't bring any merchandise. She said, this is all about you. I just want to be here for you today. Wow, and that's it was very cool. amazing. Yeah, we got a great turnout, and it was, it was very cool. So, yeah, it's, it's coming along pretty well. And heading out to Las Vegas in about a week or so for the Cauliflower Alley Club to, uh, to sell a book out there, too. Yeah, yeah. And what is the best place uh, or, or best way for fans to pick up the book? Is it Amazon? Yeah, Amazon or at ecwpress.com um, or at fine booksellers near you. Uh, it's a complete history of women's pro wrestling from really the 1880s, 1890s, all the way up until today, uh, including the Indies, including Glow and Apartment Wrestling and the different fads that popped up, as well as the women's revolution and where it's going to go, both kind of history and some analysis of things as well. Cool, cool. Have you checked out, uh, since you mentioned it, uh, the new Glow uh, program on Netflix? I have not. I haven't. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm going to be seeing it soon. Again, I mentioned Cauliflower Alley. Um, the Glow Girls, uh, Little Egypt, got very involved with the Cauliflower Alley Club a couple of years ago. And over the past few years, she's been bringing a lot of the Glow Girls out. And this year, the, the Cauliflower Alley Club is going to honor uh, the Glow Girls in general. And I think there's 15 or 20 that are supposed to appear, uh, which is kind of interesting, a little bit controversial because Glow was you know, a renegade promotion, if you want to call it that. It was more of a reality show, kind of scripted, campy, hee-haw type thing than, than mm -hmm. pro wrestling. Uh, but the, the wrestling has its reunions and its tours and everything else. The Glow Girls never did, and a lot of them never even knew each other's real names. You know, they just knew the characters that they played. Um, so now they've kind of been doing these reunions at Cauliflower Alley. They do a cruise thing uh, once or twice a year. So it's it's a be uh, interesting to kind of see that vibe and, and be part of that reunion. And I'm sure as part of that, um, people will be talking about the next like special. So yeah. uh, I'll have to jump in on that series and check it out. Is uh, Ivory going to be part of that? The uh, the Glow reunion. She's not this year. She's not advertised. But when she got a award, uh, I think it was the year she got her women's wrestling award is the same year that Little Egypt came for the first time. So Ivory was at the WWE table, if I remember, for a while during the banquet, but then ran over and was sitting next to Matilda the Hun and Gremlina and uh, Little Egypt from, mm -hmm. from uh, GLOW. So, yeah, she's still, you know, it's still uh, one of the girls with that group. Yeah, yeah. When does she get inducted into the uh, 
WWE Hall of Fame. I know they've got this quota for at least one woman each year, and I, I thought they would have gotten her by now because, to me, she's got more credibility than most in terms of, of women pioneers in WWE. I mean, she was another one of those that was um, really working a, a style kind of ahead of her time at a time where yeah. there wasn't that much of that in WWE. And to be honest, Ivory really kind of got to WWE, in my opinion, uh, a little bit past her prime. Because oh, sure, yeah. She, she was, was probably was, close to 40 at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, when she was doing a very athletic style that wouldn't look out of place in today's wrestling, really, in Glow, where the rest was very 80s campy, and, and there was nowhere else for her to really go. She did a little bit with the AWA and the LPWA, these little short-lived things, but it wasn't until the WWE brought her in um, you know, as, as a hoe, basically, and, and found <laughs> her, right. a role yeah. for her. Yeah, and, and then, you know, by that point, then the, the division kind of grew up around her. Um, but, man, if she'd gotten in five or six years earlier, uh, and, and they always kind of understated her, her attractiveness. You know, back in the, her glow days and, and everything else, she was absolutely beautiful, and, and she really could have been a, a big star for WWE, um, you know, five years earlier had, had there been a women's division like there is now. Yeah, yeah, but I thought she was just a really good personality outside the ring. I remember one yeah. of my uh, uh, kind of guilty pleasures or one of my favorite uh, uh, hours of programming, wrestling programming back in, I guess this would have been the early, mid-2000s, was uh, WWE Experience, which was their yeah. Sunday morning recap show, and it was her and Todd Grisham, uh, now UFC announcer uh, Todd Grisham, at different locations in New York City and just kind of recapping the week. And I thought they were both just really likable and had a good chemistry. Uh, it was like the fastest hour. Uh, so, yeah, I thought she had a lot to offer, and surprised we haven't seen more of her. Anyhow. Yeah, I, in fact, I was, I was speaking of seeing more of her real quickly. I was posing for a picture with her a few years back, and the person was, had their phone or the camera, and they were having trouble with it. And she's wearing you know, a very attractive but low-cut top. And uh, as I'm, I'm standing there, you know, there awkwardly, we're like kind of holding each other, waiting for the picture to be taken. And she's like, come on, man, hurry up. My boobs are hanging out here and everything. I'm like, <laughs> they are. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, but I mean, she, she has that just kind of, you know, that charisma, that unflappable, like, yeah. you know, it's, she's just a natural, uh, uh, natural person who's, who's, you know, got, got charisma that, that comes yes, across. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I wasn't expecting to have a long conversation on Ivory. <laughs> no, nah, but hey, things happen. Yes. On the Let's topic go on to Ginger of, Mahal uh, now. Ginger right. Mahal. <laughs> <laughs> well, before that, on the topic of, of lovely ladies and, and bookstores, uh, you can go to, hopefully, your local Barnes & Nobles and pick up the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which features on the cover uh, two very beautiful ladies, very talented ladies, uh, Sasha Banks and Charlotte. It is the June 2017 issue. Uh, featuring the report cards for the stars uh, and these two women and many more wrestlers, both male and female, are featured inside. Uh, what else is in here? I'm flipping through it as we speak. Uh, well, we've got uh, features on Ring of Honor on Lucha Underground, um, WrestleMania all-time sleepers, flops, and magical moments. Uh, as I said, the report card, we've got a hot seat with Cody Rhodes, an interview that Harry conducted, uh, and a lot more, a great issue as always, uh, and, and probably won't be around that much longer because before you know it, our next issue is coming out. So uh, while it's still out there, head over to pwi-online.com, pick it up, subscribe uh, if you like. While you're there, you can subscribe to either the print edition or the digital edition. 
uh, which is now newly formatted for your mobile device, uh, customized for uh, uh, phones uh, or tablets, that kind of thing. And if you subscribe, you'll get a deep discount off the cover price, uh, up to half off or even a little bit more if you subscribe longer. And again, the thing to do is pwi-online.com. While we're on the topic, uh, Dan, what have you got working for the next issue? Oh, the next issue, uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, outside of, well, a, a couple things. Uh, obviously, well, by the know, next, uh, I, I know our parlance is different than, than most. What fans will see is the next issue. I know we're actually now getting planning on the one after next, um, uh, but you'll have uh, WrestleMania Real Winners and Losers, right, coming up? That is correct. Yes, you're right. Yeah. I'm thinking ahead to the next one. And, and then, actually, what I'm really thinking is I'm thinking beyond that, uh, because I'm already starting work on the PWI sure. 500. I was talking to um, a Indy wrestler today who was list. lobbying me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to get that together, and, and pretty soon we're going to be getting submissions and everything else. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, behind. But, yeah, I uh, definitely uh, did a straight shooter column about my experience out at WrestleMania and mm-hmm. the entire weekend leading up to WrestleMania. Uh, I went to six different shows out there and then Mania itself. Uh, and then obviously the WrestleMania winners and losers that we do every year. Um, and this year was really good because um, we got some more feedback. You contributed some stuff and, and some other people jumped in. And I think we got a really good um, analysis. You know, it's not just WrestleMania what happened, you know, who won the match by what move and what time. Um, but it's what does it mean? You know, what, what comes out of it going forward? And I think that's really the, the beauty of that, uh, that piece. Right. I mean, sometimes the, the real winners and losers very often, in fact, are people who aren't even involved in the match, right? Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, depending on who won or lost, you know, that the next challenge, the next feud, you know, somebody's moving higher in the card, somebody's moving lower. Or the fact that a match took place and somebody else was left off the card entirely sure. can indicate a, a winner-loser situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got uh, an interview in there with a newly crowned Ring of Honor champion, uh, What's his name? Christopher Daniels. <laughs> I forgot the first name. It's going to be Brian Danielson. Christopher Good old, Daniels. What's his Fallen Angel something. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Um, and my uh, quick count column as well. And I forget what else. Frankly, it escapes me. Uh, because, yeah, again, we're, we're already looking at the next issue and beyond. So, anyway, um, pwi-online.com. Subscribe. You'll get, and you won't miss any of these. So, that's the thing to do. And then also uh, follow us on Twitter, at official PWI. Find us on Facebook. Uh, send us an email, podcast at outlook.com. Um, and, and check out our archives. Go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. You got, uh, what are we up to? Two and a half years almost of, of this podcast. So uh, go back and uh, go to the archives. And while we mention it, this is a big thing that I forgot to mention. Later on this very podcast, we got another interview that we'll be able to add uh, to those archives. None, none other than the bad guy, Scott Hall, I got to talk to uh, earlier today. Um, we talked about some independent appearances that he's got coming up. Actually, uh, not sure when you guys will be listening to this, but this Sunday, April, uh, I need a calendar here in front of me. What's Sunday? Uh, today's today's 420. I know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it is 23rd. the 23rd. Um, he's going to yeah. be appearing here in my backyard, Long Island, New York, uh, Deer Park, for Fight the World Wrestling at the Sportatorium. 
um, in Deer Park. That's and NYWC Sportatorium. Him and uh, his buddy, Kevin Ash, making an appearance on a pretty uh, loaded card filled with uh, lots of talented independent guys. We talk about that, and we talk a, a lot uh, about some current events, including something that I, I hope to discuss with you in a moment, Dan, and it's this whole issue of bullying in wrestling. It's been... Um, in an unexpected hot topic in recent weeks having to do with the departure of Mauro Ronaldo from WWE and uh, what JBL might have had to do with that. Uh, so stay tuned after our discussion here for uh, a really fun interview with Scott Hall. Enjoyed it a lot. Um, all right, Dan, uh, we last spoke uh, the night of WrestleMania. It's been a few weeks from yes. uh, since then, and a lot's happened. I mean, um, the night after WrestleMania is kind of the unofficial beginning of a new season, and even more so now that they had this superstar shakeup. Um, I was there for the Raw. Uh, it was the first event here at the brand new, doesn't look all that new, Nassau Coliseum. Um, and uh, a lot of, of moving around of, of uh, the roster. Uh, some big names came to Raw. Some big names went to SmackDown. And in general, um, a, a pretty significant different pitcher um, than just a few weeks ago. Um, let me ask you a bit about the guys who seem to be uh, on the radar in a way that they weren't before, uh, getting big pushes. Uh, on, on the Raw side, we saw Braun Strowman destroy uh, Roman Reigns in, I think, what's one of the more memorable angles on Raw in a while, and something that was really effective, I think, in, in building him up at a mo- as a monster heel. On SmackDown side, a real shocker uh, of all people, the next guy to get a title shot is Jinder Mahal, who on that same Raw that I attended uh, at, uh, at NASA Coliseum was in his perennial role as in-the-ring-to-my-left guy, you know, who <laughs> without so much as, as uh, an entrance. Um, and a week or two later, the guy uh, wins a title, sh- a pay-per-view title shot. So um, what do you make of some of these changes? Are, are these the right guys to, to be getting these breaks? Some other people are, are in talks. Uh, Baron Corbin seems to be on the short list on SmackDown to uh, be elevated as a top heel. On Raw, we see uh, certainly Samoa Joe uh, getting a, a lot of time there. So what do you make of all of it? What I make of it really is from the, the big picture of this, uh, over the past, say, five or six years, WWE has really brought in the, the guys from the Indies, the Indie Sweethearts, your Daniel Bryans, your Stephen Punks, your Austin Aries, and down, down the line, AJ Styles. Brought in these guys who are smaller, they can go, they're known for having work rate, they, they have a passionate online community, passionate fan base, and really kind of embracing the independence. You see Triple H and Evolve shows and... WWE openly talked about Ring of Honor and some of their produced specials and, and things like that. And after WrestleMania, I think we're beginning to see a little bit of the 1980s come back. It's, it's all about big guys. It's about Braun Strowman. It's about, it's, uh, about a foreign menace like Jinder Mahal. A very um, muscular I mean, not big, foreign menace. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's jacked. You know, seeing him come off the Andre Battle Royal, I mean, he's obviously put his time in. And he looks in fantastic condition. If he didn't know this push was coming, uh, maybe this push is coming because he's worked so hard. But he's that guy who's just shredded. The foreign menace, you've got Rusev, you've got Baron Corbin, who I know WWE is very high on. Everyone's very high on him. I personally don't see it at all. Um, but they like him. You know, 
he's he's tall and he's got a belly button that looks like a smiley face or a sad <laughs> face. You ever notice that? He's got a weird belly button. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So like, I think WWE is going back to basics. I, I think they might feel like okay, we've given the IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community, or whatever you want to call it, the you know, we, we've thrown the smart marks uh, a bone and and went with their guys. And it took us to a certain level. Now it's time to dial things back and do it the way we want to do it. Yeah. You know, your big guys, your Samojos, your Roman Reigns, you know, whatever, and, and, and dial it back and see if that works. And I don't know if that is going to work in this time frame. Uh, but at the same time, who would think that The Undertaker would still be a relevant uh, and endearing character in 2017? And, and he proved it at, at WrestleMania where, you know, people were, were – crying you know i mean saying goodbye to the dead man and everything so maybe there is something to that formula but i think it's definitely signaling a change of direction uh, in terms of the big picture yeah yeah I, I wonder if there is one more aspect to it and it does have to do with um again the the, the in, fans embracing all the indie guys especially uh, the ones that have come through nxt uh the samoa joes of, of the world and and all of those I wonder if there is a bit of um, kind of a, a chip on WWE's shoulder that the guys who are talked about as the future stars and who have become the future stars, um, whether it's Sami Zayn or Seth Rollins or Joe uh, and on and on and on, none of those are WWE products, right? The the, the one guy Well, they are that, now, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, they, but, they, they but they those guys got them. their start somewhere yeah. else. And right. I think that's been a criticism in recent years of WWE's developmental system is that, and we've talked about this, are they really creating stars or are they uh, cashing on stars that were already made? Um, and, you know, the one you could point to is Roman Reigns. And, you know, the, the, the jury's still out in a lot of ways on, on how successful that experiment has been. Uh, so now, who are a lot of the guys, as you mentioned, that we've seen elevated? Uh, Baron Corbin. Now, Jinder Mahal, Mojo Rawley, uh, a lot of guys who you would not have had uh, on, on the top of the list of the kind of guys uh, you would expect or even want to have been elevated. But those are guys that WWE can point to as these are homegrown guys. These are our guys. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that. I mean, maybe uh, potentially a little playing favorites and and wanting to start to earn a reputation for not just cashing in on guys who already had reputations, but creating stars. There could be some of that. I could see it. If that is the case, it's, it's pretty petty, I think, though. I mean, it, it, maybe it's political. And, and At one point, you had developmental, and you had Ohio Valley Wrestling. And at, at one point, you had this class that came out, and it included uh, Shelton Benjamin, who was uh, mediocre, uh, very good in the ring, but he, he didn't become a, a main event guy, really. But along with him was, was Brock Lesnar and John Cena and Randy Orton and Batista. That Goodness, all came yeah. up in that same crew. I mean, and those were the homegrown guys. And that was 10 years ago. And there has not been that other batch of homegrown guys. It's been people, like you said, who made their name elsewhere before coming in. And when they tried it a few times, they tried it with the first seasons of NXT and Nexus and Core. And, of course, the only guy who really kind of make, made a break out of that was Daniel Bryan, who had, mm -hmm. you know, been around before that. So maybe they're trying to redo that, but at this point, you have guys like Nakamura and Rude and Aries and, and others in NXT who already have that built-in fan base. 
it seems silly to dial that back just for the sake of saying, hey, we created Mojo Rally. Mm-hmm. Good job. Good job with that. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at the fan reaction to Mojo Rally and you look at the fan reaction to Shinsuke Nakamura, go with that. That should be your barometer, not who had the designation of training the guy or putting him through his drills. Right. You know? right. All that said, I am happy to see guys elevated, even if they're not necessarily uh, the people I would have chosen. Uh, again, I mean, I don't know if anybody had on their radar Mojo Rawley and and Jinder Mahal certainly as uh, a guys on, on that short list. Baron Corbin, I'll, I'll disagree with you. I mean, I don't think he's great in the ring, but what I really like about Baron Corbin that is missing in almost everybody um, in, in WWE, with few exceptions, is he looks like a fighter, right? I mean, he's I, I don't see sports entertainer in him. Uh, he's not trying to be cute or funny you know, or anything he, like that. He he's an, uh, a guy who wants to go in there and and kick some butt and win titles. Um, he he looks like a real fighter and a real athlete, and uh, I like that. I think he he carries himself. He, he looks uh, like with a some fighter. Credibility. He looks like a fighter, except when he fights. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing. I, I don't think. Well, he's still relatively good. green. But that's the thing. This is big leagues, man. You don't bring in mm-hmm. a guy who's relatively green. And you don't push a guy who's relatively green. And if the guy's entire gimmick is to be, I'm the tough guy, then look like a tough guy. Like, you, you need to be, you know, lay it in there. Look like Stan Hansen or Terry Gordy in the ring. Don't be, I mean, you know, if you're out there just getting cleanly beaten by Dean Ambrose, who you've got eight, nine inch, well, not, and he's not that much taller because Ambrose is a taller guy, but he's got. 50, 60 pounds on Ambrose and three or four inches and, and still, you know, gets cleanly beaten at WrestleMania in a forgettable match. I mean, really? That's what you want to? All right. You know, yeah, well, that's, that's how they book them. Push. I, I disagree that you have to be uh, that polished a worker to get a big break. I'd much rather WWE uh, roll the dice on guys who maybe aren't quite ready uh, than go the other route that they did for so long. You know, there, there's an interview that Triple H gave somewhere some years back where he talked about it taking about seven years to make a superstar or something like that. And when you talk about some of these guys being in their uh, uh, mid to late 30s, you don't have seven years. I mean, it's you got to move on it now. And, um, you know, is Corbin flawed and, and still uh, a, a little green? Yeah, but there's enough there. There's enough of an upside that absolutely roll the dice on him. I'm not saying put the world title on him, uh, but but I'm I'm happy to see some of these new faces. Um, on that topic, Jinder Mahal again, probably the most surprising of all of these. Uh, you, you talked a bit about his, his physique, and he, and I don't know if it, if it's a good look or not. In some ways, it's kind of a bad look in terms of uh, maybe some of the red flags that it sets up. Uh, but, you know, again, a, a, a different kind of look, uh, a, a, an Indian wrestler, which you don't see a whole lot of. Certainly, that's a big market. You know, TNA's been going this direction for a while. Uh, I'll take Jinder Mahal versus, what's his name? The guy with the bad dance. Uh, uh, what's his oh, name? Uh, yes, yeah, Harv Billy. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, Mahabali uh, Shira. That's, right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's yes, that's right. That's I'll that's take it. I was thinking of the Bollywood boys, yeah. I'll I'll take twenty uh, Jinder Mahal's, and I don't think Jinder Mahal is a, a bad worker. He's just not anybody who's ever really stood out before. And and the issue there really is um, that there was no 
uh, it, it was just such a 180. It wasn't like they were bringing this guy up slowly. He started picking up a couple of victories. Again, in one week, he was essentially the Brooklyn Brawler, and the next week, he is the number one contender to the world title. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, the thing is, in, in a previous era, you could do something like that, and again, I, I missed this, and maybe it's outdated. I don't think it is, though, if you look at Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, but a manager. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the storyline being Scott the other manager who, like, hey, yeah. he, oh, okay, yeah, he, he brings this guy in, and, and he finds something in him, and, and, and then you can let Jinder Mahal have a, a five, six-month run challenging for a title, and then settle back down in the car and rotate guys through, and uh, that, that helps. I mean, back in the 80s and 90s, it allowed fresh guys to move up, maybe not win the title, because title reigns were longer by a rule back then. Uh, but they, they had their run and, and then cycled back down and, and got back up a little bit later, as opposed to the same guys dominating the top and everybody else just kind of hitting that glass ceiling. Uh, it's good that they're doing it with gender, but like you said, it, it just kind of happened overnight with no explanation. You know, here's the guy who was terrible. Hey, now he's the number two guy in your company because he's challenging for the world title and, and on your brand, I should say. Right. So right. It's, it's a little bit abrupt and it's a little bit, you know, post WrestleMania. Hey, let's just make something happen. But you know, it's it's good to see a fresh face up on top. Yeah, the issue isn't elevating a guy who is essentially a jobber. That's a good thing. I mean, I'm happy to see that happening. But you got to tell the story. You know, I, I mentioned Brooklyn Brawler before, and they kind of did it with the Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, this is now yeah, 30 years ago. But remember, Brooklyn Brawler was to Steve Lombardi, who was the the perennial in the ring to my left guy for for uh, years and years and years, and then. Uh, got Bobby Heenan as a manager, and Bobby Heenan brought out that killer instinct in him. And it wasn't that, you know, Brawler became uh, some big star, but he got a little more credibility. He he started picking up some wins, and he was put in a position where he could work uh, the mid-card and, and help get other guys over. Uh, but they and told the story, you know, and, and maybe they'll he still tell that story. Michaels. Right. Yeah, he, he ended up getting a title shot against Hall. I was uh, there. Shawn Michaels at a show in New York. Building. Oh, were yeah. you really? Yeah. Yeah, probably Very 20 cool. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I and, and maybe they still that tell that story. Um, if they do now, it'll be a little bit backwards. But uh, I, I would like something to explain whatever, why he's found his uh, mojo, no pun intended, you know, what, what uh, changed. So we'll see. Um, another guy, certainly not. Uh, you know, an unknown and and not a guy who wasn't expected to get a big push. Shinsuke Nakamura, you mentioned him, uh, made his debut on the SmackDown after uh, WrestleMania and seems to be slotted now for a program with uh, Dolph Ziggler. Any thoughts on on his introduction? I mean, this is probably as long-awaited a a debut of somebody on the main brand as I can remember. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit disappointed that they set him up on, on SmackDown. Uh, again, I still see SmackDown, I think a lot of people do, as, as the secondary brand. I know it's different being SmackDown Live and, and the brand split and everything else, but I still see Raw as being you know, the main show. And I think that he has the potential to be a top guy on the main show, Setting him in on the SmackDown brand to start off, it just seems like it's a little bit of a step down. Uh, like, WWE may not be fully prepared to commit. Again, things can always change and they can move, but I, I would have tried to get the guy on 
on Raw and kind of begin it from there and, and see how it goes. But uh, I'm interested to see how he performs in the, the main roster and, and see where it goes from here. I guess it's kind of a trade-off. I, I agree. On one hand, you know, you, you'd want to showcase him on um, the, the A show. And, yeah, they might dispute that, that Raw is uh, the A show anymore. And they have created more parity between the two brands. But clearly it is. Yeah. Um, that said, you can make the case that he's going to have better matches on SmackDown, that he's got better guys to work with, with AJ there, now Kevin Owens there, John Cena there, um, Randy Orton. Even Ziggler is a, is a very good hand in the ring. Uh, so, you know, there might be better matchups for him on SmackDown, even if the spotlight isn't as bright. Yeah, that is true. And, and back when SmackDown first came out and they, they first did the brand split around uh, 10 years or so ago, I, I remember there was a lot of times that people were talking about how, um, you know, the, the better wrestling. You, you had these matches with uh, Guerrero and Benoit and Edge and Angle, and, and they were really stealing the show on SmackDown consistently. But the fact is everybody was still watching Raw more. I mean, the great matches, that's fine, but people, when, when you look back... I think people still remember the Raw era a little bit more than that because more eyeballs were on it. So the match quality is great. That's good if you're already watching. But if you want to try to take somebody and build them into being the, the big guy, a, a big guy, I think you want to put them on the show where there's more eyeballs. And, and right now that's Raw. Yeah, yeah. All right, shifting to uh, another topic that I mentioned before. Wanted to get your take um, on all this controversy involving JBL and Mauro Ronaldo. Uh, in a nutshell, Mauro's disappeared for some time. Word is, um, and, and it's pretty well documented that Mauro Ronaldo uh, is uh, bipolar and um, has suffered from that for, for some years and uh, apparently disappeared from WWE because he was having uh, some, some issues with that. And there was uh, a question and some insinuations that it was triggered by some treatment he received, uh, not only by JBL. JBL has kind of become the poster boy uh, for this, but just general, some uh, poor treatment. It's been talked about as bullying uh, by WWE and some people in power uh, in WWE because Morrow is quirky, different. Uh, has a different announcing style. Um, you know, maybe he he uh, was looked down upon uh, while he was there. Uh, this coincided with former WWE announcer Justin Roberts releasing a book where he talked about some of uh, the poor treatment he received in the years that he was there, including from JBL. Um, and this is a topic uh, I'll discuss uh, here with Scott Hall in a bit. Um, what do you make of it? You know, Dan, you, you've been backstage, you've helped promote shows, you've, you've been about around wrestlers for decades now. Um, and before the show, we started recording here, we were talking about uh, some comparisons even to Bill O'Reilly and this question of maybe what you could get away with years ago, which was just commonplace, boys will be boys, horseplay just doesn't fly in 2017 in a publicly traded organization. Uh, so... Uh, is too much being made of this? Is it is it much to do about nothing? Do some of these guys need to toughen up? Or, uh, again, in 2017, is this kind of thing just not acceptable anymore? Well, it's a complicated question. I mean, first of all, 
I, you know, I hope the, the best for Morrow. Uh, great guy from everything I've seen, heard, and, and a little bit I've interacted with him. Um, but, you know, and, and hopefully that he, he'll get his head right and everything will be fine. It's a shame that, you know, having a bipolar, because bipolar and, and other mental health issues are very, a lot more prominent than I realized that they were. Um, and and it's, it's just tough where anyone has to step away from a job because of something like that. Um, if all of the reports are to be believed and, and they seem to be fairly accurate from everything I've seen. But that being said, wrestling is a unique bird. Um, the, the entire business, it was built on in the early days on deception, you know, on, on fleecing the marks out of their money and, and putting on a good show. It became a little bit more about entertainment. It gradually grew and, 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 and changed a little bit. But the, the business for decades was to be protected at all costs to the point where if you thought that somebody wasn't strong enough to make it, now they're not just a liability. They're, I mean, they're a liability to you, to your profession, to the future livelihood, and you want to weed those people out. And that was the mentality for generations coming through. Um, you had to be of a certain mindset. You had to be an athlete. You had to certain things, uh, which are all kind of outdated now. And, and if looking at them from a 2017 point of view, they're, they're downright silly. I mean, it's, it's just silliness. But that was gospel from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, into the 90s. And yeah, into the 90s. Um, the thing is, some of those guys still haven't gotten over that, that uh, mindset. And these are, these are wrestlers. The older guys, you, you'll hear, they used to travel the roads. And a story that I heard, um, well, from, from somebody who's in WWE now, an older guy. Uh, but what they used to do is if they were traveling at a rest stop, and all the boys were on the road at different times, whatever. If you were going to a men's room at a, a rest stop and you saw another wrestler there, you would, you would have a wrestling match. You would just, as, as a shoot, as, as a goof, like jump the guy and you'd spar on the floor and, until you had a winner race. It was just something, you know, they're, they're driving overnight. You pull into a rest stop. There's one of the guys you just, you just go at. And, uh, you know, wrestling-wise, I don't know, going at it sounds weird about the restroom. But you know what I mean? Like, it's that weird mentality. It's, it's just different from any other line of, of business. And uh, there's a lot of that that still kind of persists in the wrestling culture. And it's also, you know, tough guy stuff. It used to be wrestlers were either former athletes uh, or, or, or legitimate tough guys or bouncers or whatever. They all kind of got into wrestling. Then it was big kind of gym guys and muscle heads. Now with the rise of the indies, you get a, guys, a lot of guys who are very athletic, very fast-moving, but they don't have the chip on their shoulder where they're trying to show how big and strong they are against the people who kind of came up that way, like JBL. So it's an outdated mindset, and I know I'm kind of rambling on it, but it's a lot to encompass. The reality is in 2017, it's a corporate company. Publicly traded, this has to go. Um, you know, you can't have a guy like JBL or anyone else uh, bullying uh, another employee, uh, making fun of him because he has a mental, uh, you know, situation. Um, but I mean, it goes back to Alberto Del Rio having an incident with, with somebody. Um, I think they, they made a remark about Mexicans or something and, and he got disciplined for it. You, you can't just have these kind of casual cavalier things that might've gotten by in the eighties, nineties. And, and before that in a wrestling locker room, this is, corporate America now. You, you cannot tolerate this. And if Bill O'Reilly is going to lose his job for something like this, then JBL needs to be sanctioned too. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I largely agree. I do. I think um, it's really unfortunate what happened uh, with Morrow. And when you're talking about somebody who um, is known to be struggling with, with some ha mental health issues, it's nothing you could take lightly. Um, all that said, and maybe some of this applies a little more to uh, Justin Roberts, and I haven't read his book yet, uh, but JBL did come out uh, on Twitter. He hasn't addressed this very much. But he said, hey, nobody liked Justin Roberts. I don't know if that's yeah, true or not. Yeah, he came out and insulted him too. Yeah. Right. And I don't know if that's true or not. But is it possible that people didn't like Justin Roberts, you know? Um, and and I'm sure some people didn't. And I've heard from people who really like JBL, you know, Scott Hall included, who who uh, talked about it a bit in, in this interview. So, um, you know, it, it's tough. I don't know that it's really um, a, a black or white issue, even though, again, I think one of the things that we're learning both from this and, and from Bill O'Reilly is that maybe it's got to become more of a black and white issue. Uh, but it does seem that, you know, there are levels to this, right? Uh, on on one hand, the story that Justin Roberts talked about having his, his passport uh, uh, stolen or while he was overseas, that's pretty outrageous. Um, yeah. What happened, with, and it's not the only thing that happened with Morrow, but one of the things that's gotten the most attention was uh, JBL having some fun, uh, and maybe that's underplaying what it was, saying some things, uh, some, some criticisms, lobbing some criticisms at Morrow for how he uses his Twitter um, during one of those uh, WWE Network shows, uh, bring it to the table. And basically he was making fun yeah. of Morrow for tweeting about winning a Wrestling Observer Award. Uh, to me, and again, understanding that's not the only thing, but but at least that in isolation does not seem like the worst thing in the world to me. I mean, especially when it's coming from a guy who is a heel, right? And, and is kind of old school. And that's a tricky thing. And it's the one thing that is, makes this different than Bill O'Reilly or any other uh, uh, corporate setting is that there is this fuzzy line between who uh, who's the real person and who is the character. And, uh, well, you know, yeah. nobody wants to have it both ways some, sometimes when they want to distance themselves from certain things. They say, that's not me. That's the character. But his name is John Layfield, right? I mean, it, it is hard to distinguish uh, which is which. So uh, I don't know. I do think that there's there's levels to this. The, the The incident with Alberto Del Rio, way, way, way out of line. Not a question. Some of these other things, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know. Uh, but, the, I mean, there's also, I believe it was in Justin Roberts' uh, book, and I, I've seen excerpts of it, but did, did you hear the one about Charles Robinson, I believe it was? I'm not sure. All right. I believe it was Charles Robinson. Uh, maybe, you know, I, I should do my homework a little bit more, but since this came up, I, I think there's another story where I think it was Charles Robinson. They, they stripped off all of his clothes and they taped him up or something. And they were like, all, all the ring crew was laughing at him. It's like, hey, yeah, it's a bit much. Like, yep. All right, man. You, like, you can't do that. I mean, you no. can't do that in the college frat. Where like you know it's okay it's a frat house movie you get suspended you get expelled in a college frat for doing that you cannot do that in a publicly traded company in 2017 it, it can't happen yeah and and I know Scott Hall and guys like that will, will will have a little bit of sympathy for JBL 
because they came up around the same time. That was the mentality at that time, and you had to weed those guys out and everything else, and that's fine. But we, we've talked a lot about Miz and John Cena with their match going into WrestleMania, where they were touching on some pretty personal things. Yeah, and the Miz believe, uh, experienced it a lot. I mean, he tells of being kicked out of the locker room and had to change in the public restrooms for years. Uh, so, right. yeah, you know, and, and Scott Hall but, touches on some of this. There, There is good-natured ribbing that often happens uh, among wrestlers who actually really like each other and are fond of each other and are having fun with each other. Sometimes, you know, it could be a pretty monotonous job and you're just trying to kind of, you know, pass the time and, and break the tension. And then there's the stuff that's really mean spirited, you know, uh, and I'll tell you this, uh, a real quick one here, uh, just on the topic, uh, JBL was the victim to one of these, and this is the good spirit the, the you know, not mean spirited, uh, an, an event a few years back from, from the story I was, I, I was heard from, from some of the principals, uh, JBL left to go to use the men's room and he left his, uh, cell phone sitting on the table and, uh, Jerry Briscoe and Pat Patterson were there and they asked one of the guys, Hey, do you know how to, uh, how to use these cell phones? Yeah, of course. Like, see if he's got it unlocked. Well, he had it unlocked. So go on his Twitter and, uh, have him announce he's gay. So <laughs> JBL was gone. Somebody went on he's like, and, 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 you know, I know the person who did it, typed up the thing and said, uh, Hey, I just want to say I've been living a lie. I finally decided I'm going to make the step and I'm, you know, happily dating a man or something like this a few years ago. And it was posted on JBL's Twitter. So JBL comes back and I'm the wiser. All the guys are just no selling it and and not acting like anything happened. And he keeps getting all these texts and from random people like, Hey man, I'm really proud of you. This is very brave. And she goes, I don't know what's going on. Like what? It took him a little while, and then he finally realized that, me, you know, he ended up blaming Jerry Briscoe. He got back on and said that Briscoe hacked his cell phone and everything. But something like that, it was, was good nature. The guys were doing it just to kind of be a goof. But that, also something you cannot do anymore, right? I mean, that... You, you can't. Yeah. But, but that's different than stealing a guy's passport and, and stranding him sure. in the country. You're stripping a guy naked in front of him, co-workers. I mean, you know... And that's the problem so. is... And, and that's why I say... For better or for worse, maybe is it is the kind of thing that needs to be black or white because when you leave it to the discretion of a wrestler, uh, some of whom may not have <laughs> the best judgment, to decide what is good-natured ribbing, what is bullying, um, you're going to have a lot of instances where, where things cross the line. You know, nothing that, and this isn't exactly the same, but speaks to judgment in these kind of situations. Uh, remember... This is probably 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, wasn't JBL goose-stepping at a show? Uh, what In Germany, was this? yeah. In Germany, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. that became a, a huge scandal. And there was somebody else who they spit on the flag. Jericho. Uh, Jericho right. had something with the flag, yeah. Yeah, and again, it, it's, it's a little tricky, right? Because they're heels. They're playing characters. They're trying to rile, rile up the crowd. But it is, uh, in, in, in this day and age, you know, public, publicly traded corporation, these are the, the landmines that they have to navigate, right? So, um, you know, I, I do think, and, and look, if it's not the, the biggest thing in the world if all this stuff needs to be uh, uh, just cut out. And, and I, you know, not, not to keep on touching on this, but it's something that Fox News is feeling right now. And, 
and you you get this picture of Fox News, and one of the things that people uh, liked about it, and uh, even the kind of people who were attracted to working there, is that it wasn't all buttoned up, right? It's like, oh, it's a place where boys could be boys and tell it like it is. And you're seeing how what how that culture came back and and bit them. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly and and it's a t- from the very top down, right? That's certainly what's going on in WWE. I think without question, um, what what some of the culture is there, but it does need it, it need to change. But the flip side of it is, I do think that that uh, it's a little unfortunate in some ways, and something is lost in terms of. You know, just in reality, what the, what the history and tradition of wrestlers of wrestling is, if a guy has to feel like uh, he he's got to be on his best behavior all the time in a locker room uh, environment, and and I, again, this isn't isolated to wrestling. This is something that I'm sure uh, athletes in in Sport all kinds teams, of pro sports yeah. are dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, my only thought is, if you're going to be a heel, if JBL is going to go out and be a heel on something, then smarten up the guy that you're you're talking about so mm-hmm. you know what the boundaries are. You know, Gorilla Monsoon and, and Bobby Heenan, you know, used to go back and forth, banter back and forth, and they, they played off of each other. But that's because they worked at that. I mean, like, you know, you know, Monsoon or, you know, Bobby Heenan never made fun of Gorilla Monsoon's wife or something, you know, whatever. Um, there's certain lines that you just don't cross. And when it comes to your coworkers' mental illness, reportedly, I mean, you, you just don't touch that, you know? And, and you know, to go out there in a, a snarky way and, and try to, like, you know, hey, the guy's quirky. He's weird. You didn't play football. He's not from Texas. Uh, well, who cares? Most people didn't play football. They're not from Texas. You know, it's Europe, whatever. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a really interesting topic, and, and it remains to be seen. Uh, what comes of it? I mean, is this just kind of a short story that passes? Um, or does enough pressure mount on WWE as it did with Fox News um, that we see something, so, uh, you know, it, it is, is uh, JBL made the scapegoat for some of this? Who knows? Uh, anyway, Dan, uh, we were, wow, we've got further than I expected. Okay. Uh, so let's wrap this up, um, but uh, in a moment here, we're going to explore this topic and a lot more, uh, more in depth with uh, Scott Hall. Dan, thank you so much. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Here is the let's bad guy. It. What's that? I was just going to say, let's do it. Let's hear from the bad guy. Yes. We can on yeah. my line, man. It's all right. We're cool. <laughs> Sorry. We're cool. We're cool. I'll, okay, I'll let you do. You're, you're the big uh, best-selling <laughs> author. Why don't you do the introduction? Uh, here comes Scott Hall. <laughs> Perfect. Let me ask you a bit about this weekend. Other than, than obviously a paycheck, what, what do you get out of uh, still doing these uh, these appearances at, at local shows throughout the country? Well, I love uh, I love being up in the Northeast. You know, I love that part of the country. You know, and it's a, you don't have to ask me twice to go make an appearance with my my buddy Kev. You know, we've been making town for a long time together, and I always, I always enjoy hanging out with him. And at this point in my career, I really young, like hanging around the young guys and like watching their matches and watching their interviews and, and giving them my feedback. You know, that's what a lot of guys did for me. I mean, I'm not saying I know everything, but I encourage all the young guys to listen to everybody and then make up their own mind. Yeah, yeah. What's kind of your assessment of, of the American independent scene? And I know it, it 
probably varies wildly depending on what show you're you're at. Uh, but what are some things that that give you some promise, and maybe what are some things that you see that discourage you a little bit? I'll tell you, I feel like right now it's a great time to be a young pro wrestler. There's a lot. The, the indie scene in America is booming. I've been working for a company called WAW in England for the past year and a half. And uh, it's actually the Knight family, uh, Paige from the WWE. It's her family's wrestling company. Mm-hmm. And I've been working with them. And the UK independent scene is blowing up. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity for wrestlers out there. Yeah, yeah, and you see WWE getting involved over in, in the UK more uh, right. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so you mentioned hanging out uh, with Kevin. Um, is, is, does it feel like old times? Does it feel like, you know, what you guys were doing 20, 25 years ago, but, or, or now you guys at a different age and different stage of your life, uh, are those conversations and are your time together a lot different than then? Well, yeah, it's a different age, different stage. It's, uh, I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You know, I, I thank God for all the blessings I've had in my life and, and undeserved. You know, I, I don't know how I got I got it by grace because I didn't earn it. But it, uh, I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I mean, we we'll sit there and watch a match together, and we'll see young guys maybe making the same mistake that me we would have made in years of past, and we just look at each other and go, "Who's going to talk to him when he comes back near you?" <laughs> Like, who's going to grab this guy when he comes to the curtain and go, hey, kid, like, what were you thinking right there? Because that's, that's what guys did to me. You know, you catch them right when they come through the curtain, when it's still fresh in their mind, and you go, hey, what were you thinking right there? And they go, well, I'm just thinking this. And go, okay, really? Because to me, as an audience member and a fan, it looked like this. And a lot of times, you don't know. You know, if you, you, you don't get any better unless you're around guys who know more than you. So... I feel like I'm in a position where, and I'm one of them guys I can't keep my mouth shut anyway. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to give you advice whether you ask for it or not. So, yeah. you know, that's just kind of how I am. Uh, do, I do, do you I get... Love, I love this stuff. I love being around the young guys. I'm like a vampire. I suck the youth out of them, you know? <laughs> are are they... Are they generally respectful and, and sort of deferential? Or do you get guys who say, you know, well, what would you know? You're from a different era. It's, it's not the way it was when you were wrestling, that kind of thing. No, the wrestling business is deep in, in respect or tradition, at least to your faith. Like, I know that when old-timers would come up to me when I was a young guy, I'm out there and I'm doing a lot of stuff. don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it really hard and really fast. And guys would come up to me and go, hey, kid, you know, when you feel like you're going too slow, slow down. I go, oh, thank you, sir, thank you, sir. They turn around, I crotch chop them. So I'm getting, I go, you just, can't, you, just, you just can't go fast, old man. But their face is like, it's like, thank you, sir, thank you, sir. And they turn around, it's like, screw you. But I mean, so that's, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm getting the same kind of thing, but as long as you're respectful to my face, hey, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Is is the, the kind of guidance and advice that you give some of these wrestlers, uh, is it the same as what you give your own son, Cody? Um, it Obviously, you're going to take more hands-on approach uh, with him. Uh, but well, I, I'll tell you what, that's what I had when Cody's living and wrestling in Japan now. He just jumped from New Japan to NOAA, where he just debuted like a, a couple days ago. He, did, he had a great match. And... Uh, I, had, I discovered a long time ago that when, you know, when he would come through the curtain, I'd go, hey, come here, what were you thinking? 
And to other guys, they do the differential respecting, like, yes, sir, yes, sir. Cody's like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, like, because uh-huh. I'm not ra- I'm not razor to him. I'm not that cool guy from the NWO. I'm dad. I made him make his bed, eat his vegetables, do his homework. So I don't have any wrestling credibility with him at all. He talks to Kev. <laughs> he talks to Xbox. He used to be really close with Roddy Piper. You know, he would seek those guys out for advice. So it, it's, but I, I've told him now that he's been away on his own, he was here for a couple of weeks and then he's now he's back in Japan. When he was here, it's like, oh, okay, now you appreciate the old man a little bit more, don't you? <laughs> you know, like, wow, you know, good. I always told him the better you get, the more I can help you. Yeah. You know, my goal, my goal is to be his manager. I don't see why the WWE doesn't use managers anymore. That was when I was coming up, that was so cool. There was guys like Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji and even clowns like Jim Cornette. Right. You know, but there was managers. They added something to it. And, uh... And any worry of... I'm sorry, go ahead. My daughter's in medical school. My daughter's in medical school on academic scholarship. So I got... And I got the big lug in Japan trying to learn how to wrestle. So I figured between the two of them, I'll at least have a couch to sleep on somewhere. <laughs> yeah. When, when you say you'd like to be his manager, do you have any concern about uh, the, the comparisons that would draw or, or upstaging him, him being in your shadow, that no, kind of thing? you know what? I, I have considered all that. And early on, like, we, we would make a few towns, a few indie shows in the U.S. You know, they would, you know, I'd say, hey, i got a kid who wrestles. Do you want to bring him in? We'll share a room, you know, and stuff, try to keep the cost down for the promoter. And, and uh, and I never wanted to go to the ring with him unless the guy is absolutely insisted on it because then the people are just looking at me. But now that Cody's gotten better and better, they don't look at me anymore. You know, mm. like, it's, he's a big, impressive kid. He's 6'8", about 275. You know, he's, he looks like money to me. And, and I wouldn't, I think I'm impartial. I think, uh, I don't think, by the time we're ready to do it in a year or so, I don't think I'll be in this action. I think he'll be so polished that people will go, the parents will go to the kids. See that guy? That's Cody's dad. He used to wrestle too. Back, back when it was in black and white. You know? <laughs> yeah. My yeah. goal is my, my goal is for when people point at me and go, "That's Cody's dad." Yeah. Uh, knowing some of, of the dark places that that wrestling took you, or or that you went through. Uh, being in wrestling, I know you wouldn't necessarily blame wrestling for it, but do those things make you apprehensive about seeing your, your son join the same business? Um, well, of course, you know, I have to consider that, and and no one could tell him more about, hey, you know, like, this is what doesn't work, you know, but I often wonder if I would have been, in, you know, abused drugs and booze and been a womanizer if I worked at a gas station. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know because I don't know because I only worked in clubs. I don't know. I don't know if I'd have had the same behavior if I had like a straight job. But uh, yeah, I've warned him. But at the same time, I mean, you can only do so much, right? You know, I'm dad. He has to hear it from someone else. Yeah, I'm dad. You know. Yeah. You know, one of the, the topics that's been in the news a lot is uh, the question of bullying in wrestling, um, I guess, specific to to JBL in, in WWE. But um, let me ask you a bit about that. I mean, whether just concerns about, about your son or, or in general, is too much made of that? I mean, when, when you hear about uh, some of these issues that have been brought up about 
uh, JBL's treatment, treatment of Mauro Ronaldo and potentially uh, Justin Roberts and some other guys um, in, in the company. Are, are you sympathetic to those complaint, complaints? Do you come from a school that you think that's just the way it is? These people need to toughen up some more? Um, my experience with JBL, he's always been a class actor and gentleman to me. So I've never experienced him bullying anybody. I haven't really heard anything about it. But, uh, you know, yeah, obviously I'm against bullying, but it does happen. And it, the business has changed so much since you know, I've been in it. You know, when I came in, there were there wasn't a bunch of women wrestlers. There was maybe one or two that came in a couple months a year. So now the locker was, you know, there's there's women. There's uh, it's the whole it's it's much more politically correct now than it was back when I started. So I think the bullying and stuff. I mean, that's not tolerated anywhere. So certainly, it can't be tolerated in the rest of business. But what's the line between uh, ribbing and hazing, that kind of thing, and bullying? Is is there still a place well, for think, kind of good-natured ribbing, that sort of thing? I certainly hope so, because I love it. Um, I think it, it depends on the individual. You know, everybody's going to have their own tolerance to uh, ribbing or bullying or whatever. You know, if somebody's more sensitive, then you can't, you can't rib them as much, you know? And if somebody can take it, see the whole thing about they always think you don't, you don't rip guys that you don't like. You rip guys you like, mm-hmm. and then and then and then you're there and them to rip you back. Like a lot of times on the road, the grind would be so tough that we would just try to amuse ourselves by doing stuff like that. You know, when you're when you're at TV from noon till midnight, you get bored. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just want sometimes you just want to rock around and stir things up. But what? I think it depends on each individual. I mean. Some people are more tolerant to it. Some people, you know, if they find, if they come back and find they got their, a padlock, you know, through the buttonhole of their dress shirt, they're going to laugh. A lot of people are going to freak out and get, get their feelings hurt, you know, so I think it depends on each individual. What, what's the reaction you look for and hope for? Do you want them to laugh? Do you want them to, to maybe get you back? Um, you know, the, the there's this talk of no selling it, acting like, you know, yeah, nothing see, happened. I, I've, never, I've never ripped anyone, so I mm-hmm. don't know. You know, I've been accused of it many times, but I take the Mr. Perfect approach and go, hey, did you see me do it? But I, I'll tell you what, I am going to look into it, though. <laughs> that's what Kurt would always do. He'd go, man, he'd go, that's so wrong. He'd go, bro. And they go, we know you did. He goes, did you see me do it? And don't accuse me. I go into a public restroom and I see some guys in the stall, you 
true or whatever. I love to go hit the light switch and just leave in the dark. <laughs> Especially back back in the day in airports where they had switches you could hit. Now they don't. But I used to love to just walk out of the airport restroom and just hit the switch and leave 10 guys in there in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, the the example that, that Justin Roberts I guess wrote about in the book, and I don't I don't know if he accused JBL. I think he the understanding is that he he thought he probably was behind it, but but JBL was, um, has denied it was him. Was uh, uh, taking his passport while they were uh, on an international tour, and then it was a whole big challenge just to come back to the states. Um, is Yeah. When you're messing with when you're messing with somebody's you know rights here in the country and stuff like that, that's a little bit heavy. Okay. Okay. Fair I mean, enough. To, to, to me, it's like when you find out a guy's room number and then you go down to the bar and you buy drinks for everybody and then you go here, let me sign into my room. And you just put his room number down. You know, that to me, that's that's fun. Yeah. I'm not going to give a passport. I might fill a bunch of drinks to your room, but I'm not going to give a passport. No. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, talking again about this area, uh, Long Island, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I watch a lot of uh, old wrestling and I was watching obviously in the, the 80s and 90s and when I watch these old YouTube videos and you see these swings that, that uh, WWE would go through um, in New York and I know the Garden was the big show but it used to be maybe the Coliseum, Nassau Coliseum the night before, the Meadowlands the, the, yeah. the night before that. Would you guys lo- look forward to that? Would those other shows outside the Garden just kind of be a hassle, you know? Um, or, or no, would... no. I always have fun. Like I mentioned earlier at the start, I love being in, in the New York DC anyway, in the New York City area. And to me, that's just easy because you get to stay in the same hotel. Okay. You know, it's just a drive. It's just a drive. Instead of having to make it make the airport and make the flight and make a different town, you get to stay in the same area. And you're talking about a major market with three big arenas that are generally full. So you're talking about a good little payday and, you know, easy travel. To me, that's like paid vacation. Yeah, yeah. Was the the, the crowd different from, from place to place? Was it just generally a New York crowd? Or, you know, I always hear about the Nassau Coliseum fans being a kind of particular bunch. Yeah, they, they, they were noticeably different. The fans in the garden, in, in Madison Square Garden, they're a little hipper, but they're more, they're more vocal and, I don't know, like, it's like, hey, man, you work for me, bro. I bought this ticket, and get out there and entertain me. You know, like, if you do something they like, they let you know, and if you do something they don't like, they let you know. Mm-hmm. I found the fans, I found the fans in, in the Coliseum and Nassau to be, I don't know, a little more suburban. Yeah. Know, not so hostile. Not so hostile. You know? More families, like kids, things like that. Yeah, yeah. kids and stuff. They're not yelling, you, yeah, that, you know, looking at it wasn't that hostility. But it was, you know, it was still great. And I remember there being some great diners, like right up. Oh, sure. Like, outside of the parking lot. There was a couple great diners we used to always hit before we go into college. Yeah. Yeah. When, on the subject of, of chance, you know, it, it's gone so far in the other direction, right? I mean, the, one of the highlights of the year is now the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania um, because the crowds just kind of hijacked the show. WWE even did a whole documentary about it. And um, a lot of the, the, the chants and the reactions from the crowd are very sort of self-indulgent. It's about, it's about them, right? They're trying to be the stars of the show. Are you okay with that? I mean, some of that... Uh, disrespectful at a certain point? 
mean, if, if you don't adapt, you get left behind. You know, I don't want to be a bitter old timer going, well, it's just not the way things used to be. No, man, it ain't the way things used to be. 2017, things are changing. The crowd is part of the show now. Before, it was like they were there and, and the spotlight was almost happening in the ring. Now, the, the wrestlers work with the crowd chant. If there's a crowd chant going on, a lot of times the guys will yield and, and listen, which makes the crowd go louder. Mm-hmm. You know, I think any, I, I think when you, as long as you buy your ticket, you can scream and yell as much as you want. I, I don't have any kind of problem with that. As long as they keep it clean. There's some times, I think, last year after Mania when it got a little vulgar, but this year was fine, and, the, and that's the hottest ticket to get. Yeah. Because, you know, like, I was in Orlando, there was like 76,000 in, in the in the Citrus Bowl, or the Camping World Bowl. Then the, the Amway Center only holds about 15, 17, so there's, that's a hot ticket to get. And uh, there's a lot of international fans, you know, a lot of European fans. So uh, and they have that old football mentality, that soccer mentality, where they do crowd chants and stuff together. So I, I don't have any problem with it. I think as long as people are having fun, that's the main idea. Because the crowds are, are so different than they were uh, uh, 20 years ago, there's some thought that it is harder than ever, if not impossible, to create a a true babyface, right? And you see the challenges that Roman Reigns um, has, has had, and even John Cena, uh, these guys who are presented as the heroes, and they're they're booed out of the building. And meanwhile, a lot of the the bad guys are getting cheered. You'd know something uh, about that. Um, do you think there is still uh, the a, a way and and the potential to create? a true good guy, I mean, in, in the vein of whoever, a Hulk Hogan, a Sting, um, that stands for what's right and is, is kind of, a, you know, a goody two-shoes within reason and is cheered by fans? Um, I almost, now, I, I, I remember when a guy named Crusher Jerry Blackwell told me years ago in the 80s when I was in AWA first started, he said, kid, you want to know where this business is? going, he said, look at the Japanese. He goes, they're ahead of us in everything. And in Japan, although it's been westernized now, at that time, it was like a prize fight mentality. It was like a, you know, like when you go to a boxing match, they don't really boo guys. I mean, they cheer, they kind of cheer both guys. They just want to see a good fight. And I think that's, I never really cared if, if they booed or cheered as long as they were paying attention. I mean, the last thing in the world you want is them looking down the aisle going, oh, who's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't. I don't see it happening, and I don't think it matters. I, I don't think that should be the focus. I hate it when guys go. And some of these just guys go out. Well, I'm gonna go out there and turn myself heel on the microphone. No, man. Just go out there. Let the people just, you know, just just wrestle. And who cares who they cheer or boo? You know. I mean, ah. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people point to to you and Kevin and and the outsiders in the NWO as kind of a, a tipping point for that whole thing when it became uh, uh, cool to to cheer the bad guys. And and there's a well, thought that that know, did some for, damage. For the first year, yeah, we got cheered. But for the first year, man, they threw stuff at us in every town we went to. I mean, relentlessly threw things at us. So yeah, we were getting cheered, kinda, and we did sell a lot of merch. I think we were the first, like, heel faction to just sell t-shirts like crazy. But I don't think it matters. It, it, it did get to the point 
had to build somebody to face us because we got too hot. And that's why on this thing, I actually gave him that pro gimmick. And, you know, he did, we got him up and running. We got DDP up and running because we, now we need the people to go against us. And uh, to me, DDP is the closest thing to a natural baby face. Mm-hmm. You know, he tried, he tried so hard to be a villain most of his career. But anybody who knows him, he's a natural baby face. He's a really nice person. Like me, I'm not. I'm a prick. <laughs> it's, easy. it's easy for me to be a heel because it kind of comes natural to me. Yeah. So yeah. I don't. I don't think there should be that much focus on it. I mean, when I, when I would do the interviews back in the NWO days, and guys would go, "Well, are you the good guy or the bad guy?" I go, "It depends on how popular the other guy is." Right. You know what yeah. I mean? If it's Sting, they're gonna boo me. Anybody understand? I'm probably gonna get cheered, but does it really matter? Because it's sold out, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll end with, with a question, uh, a self-indulgent question about pro wrestling illustrated. I'm always interested in in talking to guys who. Uh, were around when obviously the wrestling magazines uh, meant a lot more than than they do uh, these that. days. I remember that, brother. So let me ask you about that. Well, let me ask you about. It. I mean, what do you remember about about uh, the magazines at the time? I mean, how big a deal was to be on the cover or to rank high in the the PWI 500 or to get a an achievement award at well, the end of the year? Well, this is all pre-internet, bro. Mm-hmm. This is like this is how information was passed out to fans and. Uh, and the boys would all be gathered around looking at the magazine. And then, uh, I remember the first time I was on the cover. It was kind of cool. I walked out to the local 7-Eleven where I lived, and I spread all the wrestling magazines out for a cross-bowl display. <laughs> just kind of stood there like, yeah, that's me. And uh, I remember I always used to tease Bill Aptitude from Pro Road. He used to, he would take my picture, put me on the cover, then bury me on the inside. I used to all oh, him about that. <laughs> Did, did you see a correlation between how you were uh, uh, covered in those magazines and your business? I mean, how, how your success, your paycheck? Uh, no, never really. I mean, the, the more successful you were, then the, then the magazines came mm, following. Right. Like, the magazines didn't lead the way. They followed. You know, if you're getting a big push on TV, you're going to be in the magazine. You know, it's just, it, the, the magazine didn't get you pushed on TV. It was uh, kind of a mark of where you were in the business, how far you had gone if you if you got big coverage in the magazines. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, hey, I marked out the first time I saw the covers, like, heck, yeah. You know, I remember the first time I got an action figure, the first time I got a doll, like, in 85. I was like, I can't retire now. I remember that doll. You had the big mustache yeah. in that one, right? The old yeah, Remco yeah. figure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually worth some money. It's worth, like, 300 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This is a real pl- pleasure. You, for, for what it's worth, I don't think you're a prick. I want to invite everybody to come out to the show Sunday. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah, sure a lot of people will be... Sportorium. Uh, Sportorium, yeah, Jair Park, uh, Fight yeah, the World better. Wrestling. Yes, gotcha. Yeah. All right, Scott. Say hi to the outsiders. Absolutely. Thanks, Best of luck, man. Take care. <laughs>